Well, I want to start this morning off with uh, another short joke. Listen up now. Did you hear the joke about the roof? Never mind, it's over your head. That's good, that's good, all right, all right. You, you might be able to grasp this, all right. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in First John, and I've entitled the message, Do You Have the Right Jesus? Do You Have the Right Jesus? Lord, I just thank you so much for, again, over and over say it, our, our worship teams, we are truly blessed, and thank you for them, Lord, and I thank you for the worship that's transpired. Now as we turn to your word, I just ask that you would just fill this place, Holy Spirit, even more. That you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to truly see, and a heart of understanding. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. I truly pray that I will just speak your words, your words of life. And So I look expectantly now what's going to happen in these next several minutes, and I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is in the last year of his ministry. He takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And there he asks them a very pointed question. The question is this, Tim, you can put it up. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples reply, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah. And some say that you're the prophet. And then Jesus zeroed in on the disciples. He looked at them and he said, now who do you say that I am? That question has reverberated down the corridors of time. It is the single most important question in life. How you answer, quite honestly, will determine your destiny and my destiny. The Apostle John this morning is going to give us what theologians call the Christological test. So, Tim, can you put up those verses? We're not going to look at them all at once, but here we go. We'll read part of them. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. And we'll read the rest of it a little later. John says that we are in the last hour. Now, what in the world does that mean? Quite honestly, it means we're in the last epoch of time before what we call the end times. Tim, can you put up the chart? So it looks like this. The chart basically is you have the church age. The church age started at the cross and resurrection. It's run for an indefinite period of time. Then you see it will come to an end. And that marking there that starts the tribulation out will be a signing of a covenant between Israel and the Israeli, or the Arab nations guaranteeing Israel seven years of peace. That's what we're waiting for. And by the way, the reason why we know we're getting close to that time is because in order for Israel to sign a covenant of peace, they had to be in the land. And that didn't happen until 1948. Seven-year tribulation period will occur. That is when the Antichrist will be unleashed. We'll talk about him a little bit more. At the end of seven years, Jesus will come back visibly and set up his millennial kingdom, millennium meaning a thousand years, and after that thousand-year reign, you'll have the new heavens and the new earth. And John says that we are right now in the last hour, which is the church age. It's the equivalent. It's run 2,000 years. So the last hour is 
the church age. And he says one of the things that's going to mark the last hour is that there will be antichrist. And when John talks about antichrist, he means them in the sense of false teachers. But they're more than just a straight false teacher. You see, an antichrist is someone who gets the subject matter wrong and also their motive is wrong. You say, what do you mean by the subject matter? The subject matter is Jesus. And the antichrist really know the truth about Jesus, but they purposely skew the teaching on Jesus and give you a wrong teaching about Jesus. They give you a false teaching about Jesus, and we're going to see this is a very, very important point, not a minor point. In fact, look what John says again in verse 19. Tim, can you put that up? He says this. Now listen carefully. These people, speaking of the Antichrist, left our churches, but they never really did belong with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us When they left, it proved that they really did not belong with us. You know, it's kind of scary what John is saying here. And by the way, John at this time was probably stationed in Ephesus. And he's saying that these antichrists were part of the apostolic church, the early church. And he said the waves and why we really knew they really were false, not true antichrists, is they left the true church, the apostolic church. Now, I need to be very honest with you and very clear. I'm going to probably in these next couple of months be clearer than I ever have before. But I just want you to understand, in the early church, there was just one church. Did you know that? For example, you had the church at Ephesus. You had the church at Philippi. You had the church at Colossae. Just one church. They didn't have a church building. They didn't meet in a church building. So let's just talk about Ephesus. What you had in Ephesus is instead of a church building is you had people who had the gift of hospitality and they would open their homes up and they would meet in those homes and an elder, a shepherd, would actually lead over that particular group. So you had just a bunch of elders in a particular kind. You might have as many as two house churches, maybe three, maybe four, maybe up to 20 house churches. So these elders would be running these house churches, and then during the week, they would meet together to talk about how the house churches are going. And so under this organizational structure, it was very easy to deal with false teachers. It was easy to deal with antichrist. It was easy to deal with people who were sinning rather in an open and flagrant manner, giving Jesus a black eye. So, you know, kind of, let me give you an example. You have Elder Stewart, all right? And Elder Stewart, he's meeting in the church at Ephesus with the other elders. He says, you know, I got this guy, this Jeff Eckstein guy. He's coming to my house church, and the guy is just weird. He's got this weird teaching. He's teaching that Jesus wasn't really have a physical body. He was an apparition. You know, he was like a ghost, but he didn't really have a physical body. He's infecting the body with this teaching. I've tried to correct the dude, but he just doesn't listen. So I've given him the left foot of fellowship. I just want you to be aware of this guy. He's really, really a dangerous hombre. You don't want to mess with him. Now, you know, you think I'm kidding, but actually that's what was going on in John's time. He was dealing with these antichrists who were actually saying, Jesus didn't have a real body. He was a ghost, an apparition. We're going to see why this is a serious, serious issue. Now, think of, fast forward 2,000 years. We live in the town of Bethlehem, right? You know how many churches there are here? Gee, that's, that's good, a lot. <laughs> Math majors here. There's about 30 to 40. 
And every one of them is autonomous. Have you ever heard of the autonomy of the local church? I, mean, I wish we had more time. But let me tell you something. You'll never find it. There's no such thing as autonomy ever anywhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament. There's only accountability. So when someone says, hey, you know, the autonomy of the local church, you really ought to run. Scary people. You got a bunch of people running around. Well, our, my church is autonomous. Well, that's a scary, scary thing. That's why we're having a lot of problems, by the way. And so let me just show you exactly what it presents. So let's say, for example, I have an elder. We won't say which elder. You know, just an elder that goes haywire, you know, off the charts, either morally or, or, or in terms of teaching. And so we discipline this elder, right? We, we, we deal with them. What do you think that elder is going to do? See, the elder's going to leave and walk down to a, another church down the street. Frank gets on the phone and says, I just want you to know, I heard you have elder so-and-so at your church. Just want you to know elder so-and-so did this. He's under discipline. What do you think the other church is going to do? I don't know who you are. I don't recognize your authority. I don't recognize your elders' authority. We'll handle this. Thank you very much. Click. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you what happened. See, we wonder why the American church is in trouble. It is becoming more and more apostate. It is becoming more and more sick. Because, see, there's no way to deal with false teachers anymore. Did you know that? There is no way to deal with a false teacher. There's no way to deal with antichrist. There's no way to deal with people who are just sinning and giving Jesus a black eye. Now, let me get back to antichrist just for a moment again. Remember, an antichrist is someone who's teaching false things about Jesus. Now, Tim, put up 1 John again, chapter 2 and verses 22 and 23, can you? And who is the liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father. So John says, I want you to know very clearly, an antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, literally the Greek, the anointed one, meaning that he is divine. In the Old Testament, it was actually crystal clear the Messiah would be divine. So anyone who denies that God came in the flesh is an antichrist. And we're going to see, again, why this is important. For example, let's take the Jehovah Witnesses, all right? Tim, can you put up the picture? The Jehovah Witnesses, we call them a cult. They are a cult. And you say, well, how do you know what a cult is? Let me tell you how you know what a cult is. A cult generally has a charismatic character or a figure. Number two, a cult is generally very authoritarian. They tell you how you must live your life. Number three, they are usually aberrant when it comes to the doctrine of God, what we call the Trinity. And number four, they usually are aberrant when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. Usually it's a works-based salvation. And guess what? The Jehovah Witnesses score four out of four on that. They are especially abram on what we call the Trinity, in particular Jesus. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses don't deny Jesus. They just deny that he's God. They say that Jesus, yes, he's an exalted being. He's a special God. He may even be Michael the archangel. You know what the problem is? The problem is the Bible says that Jesus is God. In fact, it says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, you drop down, the Word became flesh. It's clear that the Word is Jesus. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 this, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. The New Testament is crystal clear on this point. Jesus is divine. He is God. He is Lord of the universe. And the smart person recognizes that reality in their life. You know, the Bible, though, it's interesting, not only says that Jesus is God, we know that the Father's God, but it also says that the Holy Spirit is God. Can you put up Acts chapter 5, Tim? But there was a certain man named Ananias. Now, I've always dreamed about having a service like this, all right? With his wife, Sapphire, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent. He kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias... Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. Now watch this, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. After selling it, the money was yours also to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. Is there any more to that? Ah, he doesn't have the rest of it. Well, if, if you look at verses 5 and following, you know what happens to Ananias and Sapphire? They die. They die. Notice it's because they lied to the Holy Spirit who is God. Now, that's an interesting church service, don't you think? No, I thought about this. Could you imagine me putting on the front sign, come to BCC this week and watch two sinners die? You think we're going to get a big crowd on that Sunday morning? Interesting church growth technique. I don't know if it would work. I was going to talk to the elders about it. You think holiness matters to God? No, no. Do you think holiness matters to God? You know, C.S. Lewis once said, you know, and what Christians really don't understand, is that God is not safe, but he is good. God is not safe, but he is good. So we see in the Bible that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Now, for the Bible student, this would present a problem, especially if you're an Old Testament major, because it says in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Now, how in the world is it possible for God to be one and yet three? Tim, can you put up the graphic? That's how. You see... God is truly one, but made up of three persons, Father, Jesus, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that if the Word, Jesus, were to die, cease to exist somehow, God would cease to exist? Do you understand that? So this is how God is one, but yet he's made up of three persons. There's no one like him in the universe. Now, I've had people say, well, that's just not rational. That's not irrational. That's unique. That's a difference. There's nothing irrational about three beings making up one person, one God. It's just unique. But what would you expect? He's God. I mean, he's, of course he's unique. There's no one like God in the universe. And it blows my mind when people say, well, I just can't accept Christianity because of the Trinity. Well, God, of course, is different. He's God. Three persons make up God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's no one like it. And you know what the Christmas miracle is? It blows my mind how Jesus, the Word, the second person, he jumps into human skin. 
and he became a man. He became a man. In fact, John put it like this in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh. He put on human skin, and he made his dwelling among us. Can you believe for 33, I can't believe I missed it. For 33 years, the creator, God, walked this planet. Now, see, people are a little confused though, about Jesus. His humanity was not like our humanity. If you really read the Christmas story, it actually matters. The Christmas story is kind of interesting in Luke chapter 1. Can you put that up very quickly? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month. For nothing is... Nothing is impossible with God. And it's an amazing thing that you had this girl, maybe 14, 15 years old, 2,000 years ago. She's clearly a virgin. And she becomes pregnant. We call that the virgin birth. How is that even possible? Jesus has a human mother, but not a human father. A human mother but not a human father. It's interesting. Did you know that the Jews believed that the sin nature, our corrupt nature, was passed through the father, not the mother? And it's interesting that the father of Jesus is the heavenly father. You know, this is not a minor point, the virgin person. So often I will hear people say something just so stupid, just so inane. Well, I, I, just, I just don't like doctrine. I'm just not into doctrine. I just love Jesus, though. Well, which Jesus do you love, by the way? The Mormon Jesus? The Jehovah Witness Jesus, maybe? How about the Islamic Jesus? Islam believes in Jesus. He's a prophet. How about the world's Jesus? You know what the world's Jesus is? Mr. Tolerance. Dr. Love. I mean, that's the world's Jesus. But you know what? The Apostle John this morning says, having the right Jesus matters. Do you know what just disturbs me and just burdens my heart and keeps me up literally at night? It's this. People die every day. Both my parents did. And you know what? So many people die and they believed in a phantom Jesus and then they can find themselves standing before the living Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And you know what he's going to say to them? Depart from me. I I never knew you. Can you you imagine that? I mean, this is huge. 
I mean, this is absolutely huge. Just to say Jesus means nothing. What Jesus are you really placing your faith and trust in? And you have to understand that Jesus of the Bible did not have normal human flesh. He did not have a corrupt nature. Do you know that Jesus had the nature of Adam before the fall? He did not have the corrupt nature we do. Remember, our nature is corrupt. What are we like? Remember, we've read about babies. They're rebellious. They come in this world rebellious. We're all rebellious. We envy. You know, we, we have gluttony. We, we, we have, you know, a greed. I mean, we have anger. We have lust. These are all things that we have internal corruption. Did you know Jesus didn't have that? Jesus did not have internal corruption. You know what his nature was? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He had a completely different nature, and it is so important to understand this. Because you say, well, why does that matter? I'll tell you why that matters. Jesus had to be a perfect human being. Did you realize that Jesus didn't come and he didn't die for angels? Did you know that? He didn't die for fallen angels. He would have been an angel. He came to die for you and me. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came for one reason, to die, to be your representative, to be my representative. And in order to be our representative, he had to live a perfect life. He could not sin. He couldn't have internal sin. He couldn't have external sin. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 and 15. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of our understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the testings that we do, yet he... Jesus was tested. Just look at the temptation. But he did not sin. And because Jesus did not sin, he was a perfect human being. He could be the substitute for you, 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 and you, and me. But listen to this. He had to have one more thing. Jesus must have been divine. You say, why does it matter that he was the God? Man, I'll tell you what. If Jesus lived a perfect life, but he was just a human being, maybe he could have died for a human, one human. He couldn't have died for everyone, one life for another life. You see what I'm saying? But if he's divine, remember Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Do you know what that means? Jesus is infinite. So when he died on that cross, his blood was being spilled. His blood infinitely covered all sins. Isn't that something? Infinite. But he's not only infinite as God, he is eternal. That means that your sins are covered forever and ever and ever. Isn't that something? So you think doctrine doesn't matter? Of course it really, really matters. And this is why Jesus, this is why John got after these false teachers. When these false teachers were saying that Jesus either wasn't human or that his humanity was corrupt, they were actually saying that there's no way then that Jesus could be your Savior and my Savior. I mean, this is not a small point. This is why doctrine, truth, really, really matters. You know, John tells us that one day, though, a man is coming. A man is coming, and I believe very shortly. I believe the man even lives today. And he's going to say, I am the Christ. And he's going to do many false miracles. 
and false wonders. But his father will not be God the Father. His father will be Satan, and he will be called the Antichrist. All right, let me challenge us. Tim, can you put up? Now, I want you to listen to this challenge. This is important. So put up these scriptures in 1 John, would you, chapter 2? But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you his spirit. And all of you know. So in other words, you're not like these other ones who are being fooled here, all right? You know the truth. So I'm writing to you. Now watch this. Not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the difference between the truth and lies. And who is the liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the anointed one, the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in the fellowship with the Son and the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. So there are false teachers out there who want to lead you astray. Now watch this, but you have received the, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. In other words, what he's saying is you don't need any teaching outside of the Bible. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. That's why the Bible is written. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. John, what he's teaching here is so important. You know, what is your antidote? What is the antivirus that you have? What is your protection? What is my protection? Every day now, you have the internet. You have the television. You've got more false teachers proliferating. You've got more antichrist. How can you possibly know what is true and not true. And he says it. He says you have the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're truly, now listen to me now, if you're truly born again, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And do you know what? The Holy Spirit will never, ever lead you to anything contrary to this that's in here. In fact, listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15. In verse 27, in verse 26, he says this, When the Counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. What does he call the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth. So if you're born again, you have the Spirit of truth in you. The Spirit of truth is going to lead you into truth, not error. He's not going to lead you into lies. Now, you know, Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. You know, we had a phone call probably at the church maybe a couple of months ago. It was kind of interesting. It was a woman, and she just loaded the deck up. She goes, you know, uh, I am a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian. And she goes, I'm looking for a church. And so since it was a woman, you know, um, we gave it to the little chihuahua, my wife. and said, Susan, why don't you handle this? And so Susan meets with the woman. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually telling you the truth here. So Susan meets the woman, and, you know, they, they have some pleasantries at first. And if you know anything about Susan, immediately she leads into the question. She leads this. She says, now, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven or not? And the woman said, I mean, she was actually kind of shocked at the question. And, and, and she finds out, well, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. I, you know, I'm a good person. I do good things. Ding, 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 ding. See, that's your first clue. Problem person deceived. So then Susan says, well, you know, tell me a little bit more about yourself. As it turns out, she lived in the promised land, Minnesota. 
So, no, no, it, the story gets better, though. The story gets better. And, and Susan says, so, well, then how did you end up in Albany, New York, of all places? I mean, leaving the promised land, who would want to do that and come to New York? No, she didn't say that. She didn't actually say that. But the, here, no, no, the woman goes, she goes, well, the reason why I'm here is because my boyfriend moved here. Now, you see, we, we've been in this ministry 30 years. Ding, 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 ding. You know, little red flags are going on. So Susan goes, are you living with your boyfriend? Boom. I mean, like, a, and she goes, she goes, well, I know it's wrong, but, you know, I, I mean, I love him. Now, wait a minute. This woman had just said she was spirit-filled and spirit-led. Give me a lobotomy. No, come on. Are you serious? Are you serious? How can you be spirit-led and spirit-filled, and you're now you're living with a boy, and just flagrant violation of the Scriptures? And then you know what Susan did? God bless her. She goes, why don't we look at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And, and she, she actually opened the Bible up and had the woman read it. You always have the person read truth. And the person reads, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross when it's convenient, daily and follow me. And she said, what do you think that means? And they talked about what it exactly means. It means you're going to die. You're going to die to your dreams, your goals, and your desires, and you're going to now do it Jesus' way. Whoever seeks to save his life, you're going to lose it. You try to live life your way, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses your life for Jesus' sake and trusts him, you'll find it. And she, this woman read this. No, tears began to go down her face, and she goes, this is a really bad day for me. She said that. She goes, this is a really bad day. And Susan goes, what do you mean? No, no, it doesn't have to be a bad day. This can be a really great day for you. It can be a great day for every single person. This, this is a cathartic moment. It's, you know what the lady said? She's been to all kinds of churches. She goes, no one's ever talked to me about Luke 9, 23, 24. That is the heart. That is the heart of Christianity. Are you kidding me? And no one's talked to her about it. That is the heart of life. And she said, this could be your finest hour if you trust Jesus and do it his way. And she got up and she left. We've never seen her again. You know, there was a boy who lived in the English countryside. And one day he was walking down the street and a pig was following him. Now, no one would have thought of it was a dog, but it was a pig. And so this man is passing by slightly amused. And he says to the little boy, how do you get that pig to follow you? The little boy showed him a brown bag and inside the brown bag there were some beans. And the little boy would drop a bean and the pig would come and eat it. And after he ate it, he would drop another one and, and so on and so on. And the pig would follow him. And so the man that's amused says, well, where are you leading this pig? <coughs> and the little boy said, to the slaughterhouse. You know what? Oh, don't underrate him. 
you make a major mistake to underrate Satan. He can appear as an angel of light as beautiful. Oh, yeah. And he's leading so many people through lies and false teaching to the slaughterhouse. To the slaughterhouse. I beg you. Are you sure that you're truly born again and you have the Spirit of God in you, leading you into truth? You're living in a day and time that is so dangerous. There's never been a more dangerous time. It says as the end of days approach, there'll be more and more false teachers that will do incredible things that will absolutely, absolutely fool people and deceive people. And if you don't have the Spirit of truth, you will be deceived and led to the slaughterhouse. Don't let that be true. I don't believe that's going to be true of this, this body here. I really do believe that this, someone asked me, as I just wind this up, someone asked me, out of the seven churches of Revelation, what do you think, what do you believe about this church? I said, I believe more and more this church is becoming the church at Philadelphia. Challenge you to read that letter. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I just ask, Holy Spirit, as we sing this last song, that I know you're moving on the hearts of people. Now is the time to make the decision. Yes to Jesus. Yes, giving up control of my life. Yes, trusting the plan he has for me. There's no middle ground. It's either I'm with Jesus or I'm against him. Either I'm trusting him or I'm trusting in myself. And I ask if there's anyone here who has not truly surrendered their life to Jesus, Now they will do it, and they will truly pass from death to life. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.